Well, hello and good morning and welcome to The Main Point. It is Wednesday, July the 6th, 2022, and we are here live at Rosa Sharon Baptist Church. I, I am Jonathan Hendrickson, the associate pastor here at Rosa Sharon, and I'm joined with uh, two of my other pastoral staff brethren. Uh, I got Jeremiah Custer to my left. Uh, he's our youth pastor, and to my right is our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy. Uh, fellas, it's good to be here with you uh, on this Wednesday morning after the 4th of July. Uh, um, and we're going to be talking about, uh, I know, you know, I don't want to call it a 4th of July sermon because it's not really a 4th of July message per se, but that, you know, you dealt with freedom, um, and the idea of freedom and in the message on Sunday, Jeff, and the message was the truth that makes you free. It comes from the text was from John 8, 31, 32. Um, and I'll just pull that up and read that because it's just two short verses there. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And I think one of the ways that you sort of launched into this message, Jeff, uh, was uh, by, by talking about sort of the, the uh, not necessarily abuse, but the misuse of this of the uh, of this verse, especially verse thirty-two, the idea that the truth will make you free, or the truth will set you free in some context. I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, that's quoted a lot. It's used a lot, and uh, uh, and I think you were uh, sort of keen on on trying to show what this verse really means and looking at it in its true context. And then in, in doing so, talking about really what true freedom is and, and what we mean when we say the truth, what we mean when we say freedom. And those are the kinds of things that we can dig into as we get into this podcast today. So I want to start with, though, sort of the basis of, um, you know, what sort of launched you into this, what sort of got you thinking along these lines. Uh, did you hear somebody use this the wrong <laughs> way? And did that cause you to think about, like, doing this message? Well, the 4th of July comes right after Pride Month, which used to be a Pride Day, then a Pride Week, so it's now a whole month. And so if you watch any kind of TV, mm. sports, news, shows, commercials, then it, it was inundated. And, and so people, I kept hearing people talk about how uh, they finally... Uh, realized the truth about themselves mm-hmm. and that the truth set them free. And I'm like, okay. And I kept hearing it like more than one time throughout the whole month, you know, various different times. Uh, and this is just like regular cable TV. Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, so I started thinking about this. Like, you know, they're just, they're just taking this verse and it's always been a, a verse that I always I felt like was taken out of context way too much. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what is really the truth that will really set you free? And what is really the context of it? And of course, in order to find that, you've got to go to where it was first used. And of course, Jesus used it. Right. And so, um, so I was kind of, I got to the church and I started like, I, I did my basic, you know, word studies with the Bible and everything. And then I start Googling, you know. And so I thought, well, truth shall make you free, pride. Mm-hmm. And and images because uh, I was like, well, what kind of images would be out there? And so, an image that kind of really stuck out was there was a rainbow flag fist mm-hmm. was up in the air, mm-hmm. and it had that the truth shall set you free. Mm-hmm. But it was a it was a Methodist church that was using it for a poster as that we're well, welcoming and affirming, welcoming and affirming church. And I'm like, okay, definitely. Uh, nobody knows the context of this passage wow. anymore. I mean, here's a, supposed to be a yeah. evangelical church, and of course we know the Methodists are going through a huge split right now over yeah. the gay rights issue. So I'm like, okay, so this would be good because I didn't really attack gay pride or anything no, like and, that. And, and, but it was like, we really need to know because people use it in all sorts of um Right, settings. right. Like even the CIA has that, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I mean, it's emblazoned on their headquarters. And you're mm-hmm. like, <laughs> that's still, that's not the context right. of the passage. So yeah. that was the thing that kind of launched into it. And so when I looked cool. at it, you know, it kind of like develops itself. It's just like take what Jesus said. Okay, well, what did he say? And let's just kind of like flesh it out a little bit. So yeah. it wasn't like a normal three-point 
sermon. It was just kind of like there was five different truths or observations that I kind of pulled from it. That if, okay, if I'm going to take, take the context, yeah. what is he talking about here? What is really the truth then that will set you free? Because obviously if somebody is bound up by a sin, regardless of what the sin is, mm-hmm. um, and somebody offers an alternative truth to them that keeps them still bound in their sin, they're really not free. Yeah, and that's what Jesus basically is talking about. Here. Yeah, it, it's interesting too that you mentioned you know these two other instances because I think I think one of the, one of the things that we run into is that the culture that we live in today, and I, I mentioned this at the end of the at the end of the service, and it's just true. It, it's it's true um, that the culture we live in today is hesitant to say that there is just one truth that there is. A, that that truth is, is is that there can be multiple truths out there that they're multiple and they're all valid but you're like well no that that can't be that can't be the case especially when they contradict one another so like if you know uh, it, it just this idea that truth is just what you make it and then that truth will set you free that that doesn't work it doesn't yeah. wash like it all whatever's true to me sets me free yeah yeah and that and that's I think that's more what the world is preaching, right? Mm-hmm. The world is preaching this idea of whatever is true for me sets me free. Um, that that if I embrace my own truth, right? And that there's this there, and I, we'll get into it as to what is truth, right? Um, because I think that's a key part of what we're talking about here. Like, what is truth? What is freedom? What does it mean to believe? You know, the, all these things are, are, are sort of entrenched in this message that you preach. Well, let's start with the uh, point one, though. We'll just go right down the list here. Um, like you said, you had like five observations, and I'll just look at each one of these in turn. Yeah, the first one was that the truth that makes you free starts with belief in Jesus. Um, you know, the idea that, that because that, uh, Jesus even says... Uh, to those who believed in believed him, right, and and there there you you pointed out, in particular, it was Jews who which believed mm-hmm. on him. We're not even talking about Gentiles. And um, the verse right before that verse, which you you quoted too, is then many who heard him say these things believed in him or believed on him or be, you know mm-hmm. I think you, you pointed that out too that there that, that different translations yeah, the old King James was on on a, him and him NLT and and then the King James just said believed him just so whether believed they believed him, him or on him or in him right. it's still the same thing he's talking about so so one of the things that this got me thinking about when you were talking about this you're, you know you said that 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 if nothing else, the, the, the truth that makes you free has to begin with, um, begin with a belief in Jesus. But Jeremiah, when, when I, I hear that said a lot, you know, believe in Jesus, you know, believe in Jesus. What does it even mean to believe in Jesus? Like, that's, a, that's another phrase that I think we use a lot. And I don't know that a lot of people understand, what, like, what all that entails. What, is it, what does it mean to say... Like if, if the truth is going to set me free starts with with me saying I believe in Jesus on Jesus I believe Jesus what is what does that even mean what does it mean to say that I believe in Jesus Yeah, it's interesting. Like so, in the rest of of John eight, especially the the part right before this context, there's these there's these people, and some of them are Pharisees, some of them are just uh, Jews, regular Jews. They're following Jesus, and Jesus is literally in front of them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you don't believe in me. Mm-hmm. And then so like for us, we're like, well, how, how could they not believe in him? He's standing right in front of them. Right. I believe so, he, it'd be hard to believe he doesn't exist at that point. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so it's clear from that, just that little bit of context, that it, it has to be more than just like believe he exists. Right believe that he's walking Mm -hmm. and so that's when jesus starts talking about look i come from the father and he he asked them like in the law doesn't it say you need two witnesses i come from the father uh and and i'm also bearing witness to myself basically saying there's there's two here telling you right that that if you believe in me you'll have eternal life Mm -hmm. Um, and so he's trying to get them and then he, he, he he like like multiple times is like you guys don't believe in me so like clearly he knows I mean literally multiple times just in a few verses like you don't believe in me and you're not going to believe in me 
which is wild, right? That's mm-hmm. that's it's like, oh man, that's just hurts, right? <laughs> and uh, like literally, it says, uh, so he said to them again. This is him repeating himself. I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so, like, it's clear, like, he's, he's saying, look, you're not going to believe in me. You're not going to believe my word. So there's some sort of hardness of heart in them that won't allow them to believe. And so belief must be more than just, I believe in Jesus. I think he exists. It must be, it must run deeper than mm-hmm. that. It must be uh, more of a, a trust, a personal trust, like a, um, almost like bond servant type of trust. I'm going to entrust myself to you forever. Yes. I know I owe a debt, a big debt. I cannot pay that debt, and so I'm going to entrust my entire life to you. That type of like full 100% trust. And I don't think you you necessarily need full 100% belief in order to do full 100% trust. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if belief also is is tied into believing in who he claimed to be. You know, like believing in him yeah, as Messiah, verse believing in which him he was as, the last. It was he was leading up the verse twenty four. Right. As he was doing that summation, but that's when Jesus said, um, "Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am He." The New Year Living Translation is who I claim to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will die in your sins. So he's definitely putting putting it out there that he's the Messiah. Well, I noticed too, and, and, and I wrote this in my notes from John twenty thirty one. Uh, but these are written. John John says these are written so that you may continue to believe. And he lists three things. He believe, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, mm-hmm. that he's the Son of God, mm-hmm. and that believing in him you will have life by the power of his name, which is also a source of life. So that if you're gonna, but so that so that John is saying, I'm writing these things in this gospel so that you can believe these things about Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the one that the Jewish people had expected would come, that would be the Savior, right? That, that he's the Son of God, which is even more than they anticipated, I think. I don't think they ever thought the Messiah would be the Son of God, like he would be deity. Yeah, he was the Son of David. Right, and that that he would be the source of life for all people who would believe in his name. I mean, that's that's pretty powerful stuff. But I think you're right, Jeremiah. I think the belief is at least those things, right? At minimum, it has to be those things. I have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the source of life, or that's not going to, you know, it's not going to work, right? But then I think that it almost has to be something else, too. I, know it, I like what you said. It has to be this idea that not just by, not just that I believe with some sort of head knowledge that, okay, yeah, he must have been something special. But did I believe enough in him to place my trust in him? That, to say that, okay, yeah, you're a source of life, but you're the source of my life now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I, you know, that, that, that uh, if we're going to have this truth that sets us free, I think it has to be more than just mere belief. You know, C.S. Lewis famously wrote that book, Mere Christianity. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, he was getting to the bare bones. Okay, this is, this is, the, this is the, the, you know, there's lots of things you can believe about Jesus, but let's get to the bare bones, mm-hmm. the thing that you have to believe about him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that that this, this mere Christianity. Um, and so I wonder um, what, is, what is sort of the, at minimum, here's what you have to believe in order to have truth that sets you free. Another famous um, atheist, and I've mentioned him before, uh, Bertrand Russell, um, tried to, in his, in his uh, fam- rather infamous essay, um, um, where he says, uh, um, you know, I, 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 why I'm not a Christian. Um, he, he entails, he's, he has two things that he says that one must believe in order to be a Christian. And it's that um, you have to believe in God, right? And you have to believe that Jesus is at least the best of, 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 all, of, of, of men. And he says, I can't believe in either of those things. So mm-hmm. that's the reason why I'm not a Christian. And every year I have students write essays on this in, in, my, in, my, in the class that I teach on it. And one of the things that they, they come back with is, you gotta believe in more than that to be a Christian. I'm like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm not, I don't disagree. But I think what Russell's point is, is that at the very least, yes. you have to at least believe these things. And he says, I can't even, I can't even get to the lowest of hurdles on this thing. Um, that's what he's getting at. 
But I wonder, I wonder where is the hurdle set? Does that make sense? I I, I want to know well, where is the hurdle about, set when it comes to belief. Yeah, if you think in about the, the actual disciples when they first followed him, um, you know they were going based on John's word that hey he's the one I was telling you about, and then they went on their own. But they went like Jeremiah was saying. They believed, didn't fully believe everything that they knew because they really didn't know that much about him. But they were willing to follow him, and as a result of that following, in that three years of being with him, you know, then then their understanding of belief and all comes to a point where finally, you know, Peter makes that that great uh, proclamation of faith uh, that you're that we believe that you're the Son of God, and, and Jesus says, you know, that the Holy Spirit revealed that to you, and right. I want to build my church on that. So I think that's the beginning point. Um, like he said, if you take what what what, what uh, Russell just said, that would probably be ninety percent of most Christians would be that that well, I believe in God and Jesus is God's son. He's the best example, right? And that's probably as far as they go. Yeah. And so the belief part is the beginning, the opening of the door, and then the so what will follow. You know, as we right. go through the rest of it. But but you got to have some kind of belief, and they did have some kind of faith in him. It wasn't all of them. Right. In fact, there was two different walking aways that happened in chapter 8. Yeah. Um, and then these were the ones that were left. And then Jesus expounds on what he uh, finishes. Well, and even even then, as he expounds on, even more people even walk away. Well, well, you, you yeah. I was going to say, just a little bit later from this, I, I think it's later than this, because I just read it the other day. You have the, the instance where he, where he claims to be the bread of life. and says, mm-hmm. if you don't, this is in John's Gospel too. Yeah, and he's like, if you, don't, if you don't eat, you know, if yeah. you don't eat that's this the bread and drink this earlier. blood, yeah. and they're like, this thing's too hard. We're, yeah, yeah. we're done. We're, you know, that's we're, the one I quoted about the hard saying. I didn't go yeah. into all the bread of life stuff, but I came came towards the end of the yeah quotation. They're, they're just like, no, nah, this is too hard. I can't, I can't do. Yeah. This. So the thing is, I mean, but John's gospel does emphasize belief, and so there is that that role well, that 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 act of putting my faith and belief in Jesus. In him may not understand everything about it. I mean, that's why a child at five can give their heart to Christ as well as a well, man that's eighty-five. Yeah, and this so. gets to the reason why I even want to ask about what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What is the what is the hurdle? You know, what's what level is the hurdle when we say, okay, that this person, this is this is you have to at, at least believe this in order to be a Christian, right? Because of the reason why I ask it is because the stats that you shared, Jeff, in this point, which is that in 2017, we hear that 87% of Americans claim some belief in God. More recently, that's dropped to 81%. And you go, well, that's pretty high, right? I mean, like 81% believe in God? Okay, well, good. We got like 81%. We're a Christian nation, Jeremiah. We got 81% people believe in God. Um, but I, I just... I wonder at what you know what, what level that is, and especially especially in in consideration of Christianity. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean that's where like your students are right when they say like there's got to be more, right? Right. It can't just be that I believe in God, or even saying I believe in a God, because then we've got to define who God is and which which God are we talking about, and um, it's going to narrow down pretty hard, but. That's where uh, I'll just bring up that there's so many different texts in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, where it talks about God knows the heart and the intents of man. Mm. So God knows your thoughts. God knows your heart. And so whatever it is, that level of belief that you need, God God knows whether you're hanging on to something else because it's not just that we believe like when, when we talk about wholehearted trust in Christ, it's not just that you believe in Him, but it's that you believe only in Him. Mm. And I think that was a problem with a lot of Jesus' followers and even followers in America. It's that we believe in Jesus, but we also want to hold on to some other things just in case Jesus doesn't work out. Mm. And I think what Jesus is trying to show them is like, dude, if I don't save you, then you will still die in your sins. I am the only way. I'm it. I'm the only option. You believe in me or you get nothing. 
right? Because right. because I'm the only one who can save you from your sins. I'm the only one who can offer you eternal life. I'm the only one that can give you that life uh, in His name, right? And by the power mm-hmm. of His name. And so it's not just having a level of, of belief in Jesus, like up to a certain point, but also that it's you believe only in Jesus. You're putting all, like if Jesus doesn't come through for you, then you're sunk. Right. You're, you're, you're I don't know, ship without a sail. Right. But um, I put it this way whenever I'm talking to people about it. I'm like, you know, there's all these different views of the world, right? There's different, and, and we all agree that there's got to be you know, if we're if we're reaching out for some kind of hope, then then we've got to believe in something. And so, what I've done is I've bought wholesale the package of the gospel and what what I believe the gospel teaches about Jesus Christ, and then I sold all the rest. Like I just I, I I'm not gonna buy into that. I've bit I've I've bought this package and I'm I'm sticking with that, and I sold everything else. Um, because that's why I think I've I called this the starting point or the beginning point because it has to begin somewhere. Yeah. You know, but I can't just like, okay, I believe in Jesus and then, okay, now I'll just go about my business. Well, I think, I think so this, this is it's the starting that second point, point right? Mm-hmm. Because, because the, the so what then? Right. Well, I think too, it's, it's to, to sort of build on what Jeremiah's brought up and, and you did the same thing, Jeff, in the message. I think it needs to be belief that leads to action, right? Mm-hmm. Belief that leads to life change. And that gets into your second point, which is the truth that makes you free, continues by living out his teachings, right? And, and, and we see that, I mean, Jesus says the same thing in these verses, that if you abide in my word, you're my disciples, right? If, if you continue in my word, um, if you hold to my teaching, whatever, you know, whichever translation you want to use there. But clearly Jesus is saying, He's saying these things so that he's saying, look, the, you know, the idea is that believe in me and then live out or mm-hmm. abide in my word. And I kind of want to talk about that a little Cause it, bit. Because he uses if too, which is conditional, which then talks about what Jeremiah said. What, what if, if it's belief, but then there's got to be more and this is the condition then. If right. you say so, you believe in me, then if if you do, then this is going to happen. So then here's what I want to get into. Um, it's really easy to just kind of quote Jesus here and go, okay, well, it starts with belief in him. And then the second thing you need to do is you got to abide in his word or stay in his word. What does that even mean? Like from a practical standpoint, what does that look like? What does it look like to, quote, abide in his word? I mean, we, we talk about it. We use that, we use that phrase a lot um, in, in Christianity and and. And such, but what does it practically, practically, what does it mean to abide in His Word? Um, is there is does that mean that I'm just like always reading the Bible? Does that mean that I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm like somehow living or staying in the Bible because abide seems to mean like a permanent sort of home, right? I'm making my home in it. When it's talking about the Word, His Word, are we talking about just the Bible? Like, what does all this mean? Uh, practically speaking, fellas. <laughs> uh, so I think it just goes back to the same thing we've already been saying. And and so philosophers, and not just philosophers, pe- people will, will tell you that true belief plays out in action. That if, like, what your actions do shows what you actually believe. So if I use the example of... Uh, Let's say uh, stealing is wrong. Mm-hmm. So all of us, most everyone in the world would say stealing is wrong. But then when it comes to pirating, so when, when it comes to our actions, <laughs> right. there's always kind of this gray area. And basically what we're saying by our actions, pirating meaning, uh, let's say you stole music or you stole uh, a show. You watched a show illegally. Um, that you or, didn't pay for. That you didn't pay for, that which you means you... Right. <laughs> And in our culture, that's like, ah, that's you're smart. You're wise for doing that. <laughs> right. Uh, and I'll be honest, I do it sometimes. <laughs> and so what, what, what our action is actually showing is that you don't actually believe stealing is wrong. Right. Because I, of your actions, yeah. you're basically saying, eh, if you steal my stuff, it's wrong. Right. But 
yeah. all blanket stealing is not wrong. Or you could you could use another exception. I use speed limits a lot. I'm like, you oh, know, yeah. we, 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 we look and go, breaking okay, the these are wrong. the law. You know, breaking the law is wrong, except for when it comes to driving 10 miles over that number. Because, yeah. you know, that... that that that's their rule. That's not my rule. And yeah. so we have this idea that that it's okay. And so what you actually believe uh-huh. is something other than what you said, right? Um, and because it plays out in actions. And right. I think it's it's the same thing with Christianity. But I think that's why Jesus, in multiple times, and Paul, in multiple times, tells us that that Christianity is not a, not just about making Jesus our savior. I think that's where belief is. We believe Jesus can save us from our sins, but it's also about: Is Jesus really your Lord? Yes. Yeah, submiss- is He your Master? Kind of submissive to Him. Yeah. And meaning, do you abide in His Word? Like well, right when He says something, it is it is gospel. It's 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 you you wholeheartedly buy into that package, like you just said. Is He really your Master? Is He really your King? Is He really your Lord? Right, because the conditional is like basically. Um, if you if you abide in my word, then here's the conditional: mm-hmm. you are my disciples. Yes. Indeed. So 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 you can't be a disciple of Jesus. You can't be a a, a true follower of Christ unless you abide in His word and take His word to, like you said, take His word to mean that yes, this is what I you know when He says it, I believe it. That's it, right? Yeah, and I picked up on the continual living it living it out mm-hmm. because if not, then Everybody at eight years old, ten years old, fifteen years old, twenty years old, whatever time you get saved and believe, then I'm good. I've got my get out of hell card, so I don't have to do anything else. Right. And so for salvation, you're right. But if I'm really, really a believer, then I want to learn about Jesus Mm. and I want to follow him. And then, and so it's kind of like, you know, when I first started playing golf, you know, I got into golf. Well, then I started reading golf magazines and golf books and studied it and then right. took some lessons and then practiced it and played it, you know. And so it's the same way then. Okay, so if I'm really going to follow Jesus, well, I need to learn about who Jesus is. Right. And then how can I how can I live this out myself in a, in a practical way, not in a checkoff list? I mean, when you memorize Scripture, you're, you're, it's abiding in your heart. And then when it comes back to you when you need it, it comes back. But you don't do it in kind of a, it, it, it doesn't, it just can't be like a, a, a mechanical way. It right. has to be, I want to do this because I really want to grow and be, be a follower of Christ. So that's what I think the talking it out and living it out. And, so uh, let me ask a follow-up question here then. Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? Can you be a believer without being a disciple? Can you... Is, is there is there a difference between those those two those well I two mean terms? technically Judas is called a disciple but he's not a believer yeah I mean but that's true um, in a technical sense yeah. I think in our in, in our American Christian culture we use them synonymous we do use them we synonymous. Use, we, we call a believer we, we would call them a true believer and we would call a disciple a true disciple but maybe there should be Maybe believer should hold more than disciple does, but I think in our culture, disciple actually holds more. Mm-hmm. But Jeff's right. I mean, he was called one of the 12. Judas was called one of the 12, but he he didn't have this belief, right. this saving belief that Jesus is talking about here. Right. And remember, Jesus is saying this about disciples to those who believed him. So, so mm-hmm. the context of our verse here is that Jesus says to those Jews who believed yeah. him. Yeah. If you abide in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. You're yeah. really my disciples, not just disciples in name, but you're truly my disciples. Right, and if you think about it, those just, people were, I, I, let's say if there was, let's just start on a number, let's say there was 25 people that were there. Mm-hmm. Well, he's already got his 12, and those 25 people aren't going to leave everything and follow him like the 12 did. Mm-hmm. And so he's giving them a way, like, how, how do you live your life then if you're still going to be a priest or you're still going to be a... Uh, a tax collector or whatever, whoever the crowd was, I can still have his word abided in me and following him, and I'm mm-hmm. still a disciple. So um, I think I think that's part of it too. That that um, 
that it's more than just following Jesus. Like I'm going to follow him because, um, I mean, we use that word now that like on, on Facebook, I've got followers or on <laughs> yeah. Instagram, whatever, where most of these people like aren't really following you. No. And dedicated to you. No. They're just, their name is just on a roll. And I think that's the way it is with the Christianity. It's yeah. like, I got my name on the roll. I did the belief thing. You know, I did a little bit of Sunday school or Bible so, study, whatever. But I still think I'm good. And he's so, trying to say, no, <laughs> if you're really, really, if you want to be set free. Now, if you want to still be bound in your sin and all, just do what you're doing. But if you really, really want to be free. I then, just wonder. And believe. You big you you uh also next thing you, is uh <laughs> oh yeah yeah you're living out the word right, you're abiding yeah. the word and then if you're doing that then you're truly going to be a disciple yeah I'm just I'm wondering you know is is it is it necessary for salvation to be a disciple of Jesus in this way or can one just have mere belief and still have salvation well if you think about the Great Commission he says go and make disciples baptizing them because because so the first thing he says a lot that the idea that this idea right this whole idea that for for many years um the the christian church kind of bought into this idea of we need to make converts we didn't make disciples yes and i'm one you know and i and i wonder you know clearly the great commission says go and make disciples it doesn't say go and make converts um so i you know because a discipler if if someone's truly a disciple which is our third point that we're kind of right we're getting we're getting to that right then they're actually going to be living out his word and trying to obey him then they're going to be doing the things necessary to to help other people come to know Christ. right well Jeff I go back to I go back to the thing that you mentioned in the second point in your sermon which I thought was really good the the two questions you give people when you oh, tell yeah, them to yeah, read yeah, when, yeah. when you tell them to read the gospel of John and and I think you have to have both of these things. So, like, you know, first off, who is Jesus here, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second is, what am I going to do about it? Not right. what am I going to believe about it, but what am I going to do about it? Right. And it seems to me that discipleship is at least about doing. It, there, there has to be some doing to be a disciple, right, Jeremiah? I mean, I don't think you can just be a disciple in mind only. Um, there seems to be this notion of this is going to affect my life. And all the other actions I do, and I just wonder, you know, we, um, I Kyle Eidelman wrote the book uh, "Not a Fan," and 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 he wrote that book about the very thing we're talking about here, um, because the, his whole message that sort of launched that that book and launched that idea was that Jesus is not interested in having a bunch of fans, like people in the stands who are just like yeah go Jesus woo go Jesus we love you right Jesus wants disciples Jesus wants people who are on the field Jesus wants players right he wants people who belong to the team not spectators and for so long what happens is I think we get a lot of Christians who are believers who say I love Jesus go Jesus yeah Jesus and Jesus says, you've got no part in me Mm. Jesus says, I don't, I, I'm not interested in fans. In fact, Jesus, Eidelman's sermon comes from this chapter in John where, where Jesus basically says, makes it hard to be a disciple. Yeah, John 6. Right. He makes it hard to be a disciple. Mm-hmm. And so um, Eidelman's like, if Jesus made it hard to be a disciple, why am I making it so easy? Why, why am I making it easy for you to be a disciple? Well, it's kind of funny because you were talking about, uh, I think Jeremiah was talking about it. How Jesus kept saying, you just don't believe me. You don't believe me. Like he was like trying to convince them that you don't believe me. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I approach it when I talk with children or, or young people or mm-hmm. even some adults. I'll ask questions and all to try to get the answer. And then I'll ask it again to see if they can really tell me. Because it is, you do have to kind of be persistent to let people know that it's not, it's not just a one-time thing. That happens to me is something that yeah I, I'm gonna put my faith and trust him I'm, I'm start this journey today this mm-hmm. is my first step but but you know do I understand that it's gonna be beyond this this one little right. point here yeah it's not yeah. just I want to go and get baptized it's, it's it's going beyond that to say okay I'm I'm gonna become a follower of Christ right you know what all that entails 
and it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy and stuff like that. And so it's almost like you're trying to convince them not to say yes, not to say but yes. But you you just want to make sure they know. Yeah, no, no. I think I think that's the I th- see. I think that's the right approach. I think sometimes we make it too easy to uh, to become a Christian. Not that there's. I mean, look, it's not it's not like you've got to go through all these legalities and you got to jump through all these hoops. But at the same time, you don't want to make it sound like a friend of mine. Um, you've heard me mention him before, Scott, uh, Scott Sieber. Scott Sieber and I used to really um, disagree with LifeWay's ABCs of becoming a Christian because theirs is admit, believe, and confess. Mm-hmm. And we just feel like that's kind of weak. It should be admit, believe, commit um, because there's a commitment level there that we're not teaching kids. Honestly, we don't, we're not teaching them that this is a life decision. When you say yes to Jesus, you're doing this to you're saying, I am giving you my life now because you've given your life for me. I'm giving you my life, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's different than just saying, yes, I believe in you, Jesus, right. with my mouth. I don't know. Does that make sense, Jeremiah? Am I getting on? I mean, maybe, maybe I'm making it too hard. Maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe this conversation that we're talking about here. I just I wonder if Jesus is interested in having just mere believers, or if he wants, or when he's talking about salvation and he's talking about these things, he he means disciples in the sense that we're talking about. No, I don't think you're making it too hard. I think you're just thinking practically, like for years of experience in ministry, we we see a lot of people who make a confession. Uh, even a public confession mm-hmm. and then you know wait five years and they're just gone you like not even gone from like our church or our context but just like they don't seem to believe in God at all I think they would all, like would say no I still believe because they want that fire insurance but like their life doesn't line up and so I, I'm with you it's it's more about commitment than it is confession and confession is part of i think probably need a fourth fifth sixth seventh step um abc's make it a little simple right um my problem with abc's was always it was couched as that's the gospel yeah and i'm like no dude that's that has nothing to do with the gospel Mm. that's how you respond to the gospel Mm. right but that's not the gospel right And and it kind of became like for me, like I'm like you, you guys are getting these people to make this commitment, and they're not making a commitment to anything except for like just repeat after me, say these words. Right. But like they don't even know what the gospel is. Let's let's focus on the gospel, mm. and then if they fumble through how to respond to the gospel, I'm cool with that. Right. Right. I think that's more genuine than like you. You had this program. Mm-hmm. You went through these steps. Mm-hmm. I'd rather them fumble through how to respond yeah. than, than to be fumbling on what the gospel no, actually is. I like is. that. I like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. So, so we've already kind of touched on this already. So I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the third. The third observation is the truth that makes you free identifies you as the disciple of Jesus. Um. And and I. Uh, I originally have written down here, what does it mean to be a disciple? But we've kind of talked about that already <laughs> in, in many ways. I mean, I think that, uh, I think it, it at minimum means that you're, you're, you know, you're wholeheartedly bought in that you're, that you're, um, that Jesus is the one that is, um, that is, um, king over your life. That you, when, when, when they were talking about disciple back in those days, you, you follow you you pick somebody to be sort of your mentor and then you follow literally follow that person and listen to all of their teachings and sort of bought into everything that they said and you know you you spent your 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 life following them and learning from them that's what being a disciple was mm-hmm. um you know Plato had disciples. Aristotle had disciples. Socrates had disciples. You know, and those are all famous Greek philosophers who had. Well, um, even the rabbis had disciples. Yeah, rabbis. And right. I think that's what Judas was. Yeah, I think Judas was a disciple in the rabbinic sense. In the rabbinic sense that he was following around with Jesus, but yeah. he didn't believe what Jesus was saying about himself, yeah. or or because he had a different idea of what Jesus was supposed to be. 
In fact, I think that's how they all kind of started. Mm-hmm. And then 11 of them eventually follow. Right. Um, and I think, I, think, I think Peter even has to have that point of, like, full surrender. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and I think part of that is, is that they're not, they're not yet true disciples of Jesus in the sense that he's talking about in John 8, 31, because they don't understand what Jesus is saying yet. It's going to take, it's going to take Jesus going to the cross, conquering the grave, all that, and the coming of the Spirit before they ever really latch on to what Jesus is saying about himself. Um, so they can't truly be disciples because they don't know what they're believing in yet. You know? Um, they're disciples, like you said, in a rabbinic sense, uh, that they've given up their livelihoods to follow this this itinerant preacher who they're going around and watching do miraculous things. And they're certainly, they're like, well, the hand of God is certainly on this guy. If nothing else, he's like a mega prophet. And Peter, Peter starts getting at it, and he's like, you know, well, you're the, you, we think you're the son of God, you know. And he's like, wow, okay, well then. And they had to work through the, the ideas they had about what the Messiah's role was going right, to be. Right. Like they were thinking this earthly kingdom, um, he's going to break off the Roman rule, and that's why they were fighting near the end of his life. You know who's going to be who's going to be on the right hand or left hand. You know put my put my sons in charge of something because um, they still had to work through all that. Because he's clearly saying I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. Mm-hmm. Okay, we believe in you. And he's like, okay, well if you buy to me, you be my disciples. Well now, well what does that look like? So now you're following this person now that claims to be the Messiah. And um, but I have all these. I just am my own who this Messiah is, and also they got to work. He's got to work all that out of them, mm-hmm. so they can know who he really is. And the yeah. same way with us. I mean, when you first become a Christian, uh, you know you have your own ideas and you have uh, different different philosophies and all that you've lived your life by. And it takes a while to kind of like shrug some of them off and then embrace true. I mean, we all know think we all believe things about God and Jesus that you know like. like I always thought God was going to zap you or punish you because God was a punishing God. Right. And you realize, yeah, he does punish, but he doesn't punish in a, <clears throat> a, a sense of uh, um, like like you would think of, I'm, I'm, I'm just up here zapping people and getting people yeah, back. Right. And, and all that. So you got to work through all that like stuff. quick and react. So I think that's what being a disciple too is just figuring out, because he says you'll be my disciples. Yeah. Not, not a disciple, but... A disciple of Jesus, and you know, so often in the church, sometimes we'll get people to become a disciple of the Baptist faith, mm-hmm. or the disciple of our congregation and how we do things, as a or the, a disciple of the pastor and the staff, and all, as a, as opposed to being a disciple of Jesus, yeah, and following Jesus. So we always have to work through all that tension. And because it's and because it is this sort of growing thing, I, I don't want people to hear some of the things I've been saying in this podcast and seem to think that. I'm saying that you have to have it all figured out, and you have to have all the truth, and you have to know all these truths and yeah, stuff that in order to the next point. In order, life. in order to, in order to be a disciple of Jesus, it's not that. Um, you know, while I, I think it takes more than just being a quote convert, or that Jesus never intended for people just to be converts. Or Jesus wanted us to be disciples. I don't think your salvation, um, your entrance into the kingdom. Depends upon you having all this perfect knowledge. But your growth can be stunted. Yeah, oh, certainly. Your growth and your knowledge yeah. will be stunted. And let's not forget, I probably should have brought it up earlier, but um, the Spirit's role in all of it. Mm. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like, we, we talk about the disciples. They fumbled, I think, until they received the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so when it talks about abide in my word, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Well, that's like the seal of the Spirit is what enables you to abide in his word, enables you to abide with him. And so the seal of the Spirit for us is a better a better way of knowing, am I, am I in or am I out? Mm. Right? And I know that's still, it's not perfect, but those who possess the Spirit typically know, right? Mm. We it might take some time to like discern is this the spirit is this my flesh but mm-hmm. you know of of a world change and then we can as christians maybe see that in their life over time like all right that person 
the spirit dwells within that person. Mm-hmm. We see it; it's working itself out. Like so, that's a big deal, right? And really, that's your the uh, the seal for salvation. Not not whether you've done this checklist or this this thing that thing. Whether you believe A B C D E, but it's really does like. Do you really believe, and has the Spirit come to dwell in you? Right. I mean, go back to Jeff's message. He actually quoted from John 6, 63 through 69, which actually talks about the very thing you just yeah, mentioned. The Spirit John. alone yeah. gives eternal yeah. life. And then I noted um, here, because I really like this, he says, this human effort accomplishes nothing. And Jesus says, and the very words I have spoken to you are. Spirit and life. Are spirit and life. So that the words that Jesus speaks is the spirit is spirit mm-hmm. is life mm-hmm. and that's that's powerful stuff right mm-hmm. i mean like we're not talking about represents spirit in life or um or you know is the is a teaching about spirit and life but the words very words i have spoken to you jesus says are spirit and life as in as in identity right mm-hmm. this is this is that the, like they are spirit and life. That's that's different. That's different than just saying that they are symbolic of spirit and life. They they are spirit and life, and so that's why it's so important that we. I think it's so important for us to abide in His Word, because His Word is spirit. His Word is life and, for and us. Able to convict you and help you. Yeah, and and and. That's why it's important for us to be a disciple. To be a disciple, you got to abide in His Word. We're going back, you know. Now we're going backwards, but back back to what we we're talking about before. But I mean, that's I think that's one of the things that stuck out to me when I when I was listening to the message is that Jesus says the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, um, and that's powerful stuff. Well, the next the, the the fourth observation though is probably the one that that is most important, sort of to the to uh, at least the the original idea behind this message, which is the truth that makes you free, is a growing personal knowledge of truth. So Jesus says, um, Jesus says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, you experience for yourselves the truth, and the truth will free you. All those are different translations of the same verse. Um, but the idea is, is, Jesus says, you will know the truth. And this, the, the verse truth. starts with an and, which means it actually is part of what he just spoke of. Right, right. Saying to those so, Jews who so, believed in him. So when, when the people use that passage out of context, that's what that was the whole point was like, no, it's not just the truth. It's this truth leading up to this point. Right. This is what's going to happen. That you, if you and it's not just knowing it, up here, but it's right. actually... Personal knowledge. Right. He says to the Jews who believe in him that if you abide my words, then you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah. Right. I so mean, there's two more ends. There. Right. Yeah. And uh, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so the idea there being that this, yeah, that this is obviously connected to the to the other. And that's when I brought up about the CIA and all the different colleges that have. As a motto and all, because they're looking at it from an intellectual, academic knowledge. Well, that's because, and this this gets into what I... Um, and sometimes people look at discipleship the same way. I, I've read all these books and I know this stuff. That's it. I heard it put this way years ago. This is not my statement. I, I would love to take credit for it. It's not my statement, but it's one that I quote often. That truth, in this sense... Truth is not a set of propositions, but is a person. Yes. And, and that's, that's so important for people to grasp hold of because Christianity is not, then, a set of propositions. It's not a set, in other words, it's not a set of statements. that I, the, the, the truth is not some sort of group or a set of, of statements that I believe doctrinally, but rather truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the truth, right? Yeah. I am, I, am the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, Jesus declares these things in John 14, 1 through 9, and you mentioned this. Um, I really like that because what Jesus is saying here, Jesus makes four declarative statements, basically. And, and, and he's, he's saying, 
Again, these are identity statements. These are, you can't say anything about this thing without saying it about this thing. This is this, the thing about like, um, you know, if you are a Marvel fan and you know that Peter Parker is the, is, is you know, is Spider-Man, right? They're one and the same. So anything you say about Spider-Man, Spider-Man's hungry, then Peter Parker's hungry, right? If Peter Parker is tired, Spider-Man's tired because they're the same person. They're the, they're, the, they're the exact same person and they're identical to one another. These statements seem to be, that Jesus makes in John 14, seem to be identity statements. Mm -hmm. So that he is saying, I am the way, the way to God. So the way to God is Jesus, right? I am the truth. That's huge, right? Jesus is saying, I am truth. Mm -hmm. Truth is me. And I am the life. Like, life is Jesus. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And then Thomas is like, well, uh, uh, you know, I think it's Thomas that says, you know, we, how do we know the way? You know, we don't, you know, and he goes. Yeah, and, Thomas is first. Right. Person, we don't know the way. And that was his. Right. And so Jesus not only gives him the way, but he gives but he him says, the truth, light, and nobody can come except Right, and he him. also says, you know, he says, just show us the Father. That was Philip, so after... after right. Yeah. He says, just show us the Father, and, and Jesus says, what, well, I've been with you all this time, and you haven't recognized me. So at this point, Jesus is making a fourth declarative mm -hmm. statement in that he is God. Yes. And so... You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. <laughs> it's just kind of like... That's... <laughs> When he said that before, they were going to throw him off a cliff. Yeah. And here he's talking to his disciples and saying that again. So so when we talk about truth, and I'm not talking about just truth in a Christian sense. When we talk about truth, Jesus says, I am truth. Yeah, I am truth. That there is one truth with a capital T. Like I said, I... I um, I mentioned this at the end of the sermon, uh, or the end of the service the other day. It, it, it shocked me. It, it was, from a philosophical standpoint, it shocked me. But then, from a Christian standpoint, it shocked me as well. When um, this well-meaning woman uh, stands in front of a group of parents and says, "You know, your child is about to enter into college, and they're going to have their world turned upside down and such, and it may be disorienting for them to learn that there isn't just one truth." Right in the world, no so more. so much like she was setting them up already. Like, okay, they're getting ready to hear a bunch of stuff. They're going to be telling you that may go against what you've taught them. Oh no, that's exactly what she yeah. was saying. That that they're you know that they're that there isn't just one truth or one way to look at the. And I'm like, no, there is one truth. Truth is truth. Even from a philosophical standpoint, truth is truth. You can't have multiple multiple truths right there um that, that that especially that contradict one another that that's impossible they can't not everything can be true yeah some things have to be false <laughs> like, like they could all be false they could all be false but they, can't they can all be true, be true. <laughs> they, they can some can be true and some can be false but they cannot all be true and especially those things that claim like exclusive claims to one another right you know even even when we talk about uh like something like islam and christianity people were like well they're both true in a sense no they can't be because christianity claims that jesus rose from the grave islam says he never died <laughs> like and and that he didn't rise from the grave those are those are exclusive claims to one another they cannot both be true or we all worship the same god they cannot both be true and so um but that's the world we live in, guys, is oh, yeah. this idea that there's multiple truths out there, that everybody's truth is true, um, and that, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're narrow-minded, Jeremiah, if you think that there's only one truth out there, that there's only one truth. And I'm on, I want to say, well, there is just one truth. His name's Jesus. Yeah. And, and I know that's hard for you to accept, but I just think that that's, I mean, it has to be the case, but I'll, I'll let you talk. I've talked enough here. So. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's when they say you got to discover your truth or it's my truth. And, and basically what they're saying is this is my truth. You can't come in and, and compete with or contradict my truth because my truth is my truth. Yeah. 
but they don't necessarily want to allow for my truth, yeah. right? Especially when it comes to Judeo-Christian worldview. Yeah. But I, I'll, because we know this about our culture, I'll, I just want to offer up some like, like maybe, I don't want to call it wisdom because that sounds arrogant, but maybe a word of caution. Because we know this, there's some hot button truths that we believe that maybe we shouldn't make like the truth. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. we know they already they already have this idea of competing truths, and this is my truth. That's your truth. Maybe we shouldn't we shouldn't focus on like things that we know are true because they're from the Bible, and if 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 the truth Jesus said it, it has to be true. Mm-hmm. Maybe we don't focus on those things, but we focus just on the truth, the gospel, just Jesus. Yeah. And and I think they'll be less combative, um, and 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 they'll understand. Maybe at the end of the day, they say, "Well, that's your truth," mm-hmm. but it's better than them saying, like like, thinking that we're unethical and we're uh, combative. When yeah. really we're not combative. We just want. We just know that if they if they continue in this philosophy, if they continue disbelieving Jesus then they'll they'll spend eternity in hell I you know it, it's interesting you say that I, I remember when uh, the Supreme Court ruling on on homosexual marriage came down and there was a lot of combativeness on Facebook and such and especially among Christians against non-Christians and I saw people saying things about Jesus that claiming Jesus for their side <laughs> you know you know isn't G when I read the Bible, I see I see that Jesus is love. Wouldn't Jesus want us to do the loving thing? And then I like that's the kind of so there's a misunderstanding about truth sometimes. I think even even there's misunderstandings of the truth about Jesus. Um, and it's interesting. We, like if if we make I think you're right. We have to make Jesus the truth we're proclaiming. But I think we have to make it the right truth about Jesus. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Well, no. I think if people if People, if there's people out there that truly want to know the truth and they're open to examining for themselves, not taking my word for it or some book or somebody else they heard, mm-hmm. that's why it's important for us to have a means or a way to say, well, look, you know, don't take my word for it. You know, right. read, read about Jesus, learn about him. You make the decision yourself or take a book like Mayor Christianity or something like that that you can handle them, that you can give them. If they're really seeking the truth, then there's going to be a way that they're going to find at least an opportunity to respond to the truth. Yeah. Um, but if we shut them down and they shut us down, well, they're not going to go on their own then and say, well, I think I'm going to look at what they were saying because you made it a debate and an argument as yeah. opposed to saying, you know, maybe, you know, check this out on your own and and you know, like the whole thing about who's Jesus, what am I going to do about it? You know, if you can get somebody in the Gospel of John, if they don't read anything else, if they can read the Gospel of John and really, if they're really, really seeking and looking and wanting to know the truth, then um, put them to Jesus first, and then all the other stuff will take be taken care of in this. So. Yeah, and so that leads us to that that last observation, Jeff, that you have, and. We're almost out of time here, but I, I do want to touch on it, and it's that the truth—the truth that makes you free, makes you truly free. Or Jesus says, "Will make you free indeed." That it really does make you free. And I guess I wrote down, you know, free from what? Because I think I think everybody wants freedom, right? Mm-hmm. We're all about freedom. Um, but what is it? How does that? How does the truth, if it, if it is Jesus, and I think it is, so how does Jesus make me truly free? How does he make me free? What does he free me well, from? Then the tail end of the context, you know, he, the, he's talking to the Jews. Some of them made this claim that they believe in him. He's made this statement. He's got their attention. And then they basically fall back to their, we're, we're sons of Abraham. Right. You know, we, we're already free. We haven't been enslaved to anything. And he's like saying... Uh, He's putting it back to them. Everybody that sins is a slave of sin, and, and the slave's not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you're truly free. So he's talking about that whole bondage they're under to sin and to the law. Mm. And then I used Romans and Galatians to kind of 
dovetail it uh, yeah. to give the to, to tell us that, that that's what. So what what that Methodist poster then was telling someone they're free, but they're really not. They're still under bondage. Mm-hmm. That particular sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What uh, that poster is saying is that they're they're free to sin. Yes. Not free from sin. No, oh, that's really good. I and like so, that. um, and that's what Paul, you know, Romans says. You know, does that mean we can just keep on sinning? Like, no, you know. Yeah. Of course well, not. And so, so they were under the bondage of their birthright, their Jews, their their uh, religion. Judaism, their ritual, keeping of the law, mm-hmm. and then their sacrifices, which had to be done all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, but at the very beginning of the context of this whole chapter was the whole trying to catch Jesus when they bring the women in adultery. Right. And they're all there with their rocks and they all had to walk away. And yeah. Later on, they come back and he's talking to people. And so some of those probably same people that had the rocks finally came back and said, I want to hear more about, about this guy. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to show them, you know, this is not going to take away sin. Right. The only thing that's going to take away sin and the punishment for sin and make the sacrifice for sin is, is going to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the son's going to set you free. You're right. free indeed. One of the things that stood out to me in that Romans passage is, where Paul, Paul says, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, he says, you live under the freedom of God's grace. That's awesome. That's a, that'd be a good sermon time. What, yeah, so what, <laughs> so what does it mean to live under the freedom of God's grace? And it might be too, too, too deep of a question <laughs> to get into in this podcast for sure. Um, but that, that sort of stuck with me. I'm like, what does that mean? What does it mean to live under the freedom of God's grace? Because I think sometimes we think that that means I have carte blanche to do whatever I want to because now I'm, I'm under God's grace, right? So that's, that's my blank check to go. I can go and sin. I can do whatever I want to because I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm not relying on the law any longer. I'm relying on the grace of God. And so that gives me all kinds of freedom. But I don't think that's what that means. In fact, Paul says, you know, should we go on sinning? Well, no, obviously not. So what does it mean to live under the freedom of God's grace? Um, I don't know if you want to touch on that or not. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, there's not enough time, but I will say if you want to read Galatians 5, uh, 1 to 21, mm-hmm. it talks a lot about that. It starts with, for freedom, Christ has set, set us free. free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then it, and I think Jeff quoted it some. And, yeah, and in it, it says that we need to make sure and not use our freedom as a cloak for vice. Mm. Not use our freedom as a means to or a covering for our sin. Right. Um, and so it, I think I think freedom in Christ means means that you're no longer in bondage to slavery, but by choice, by freedom, you have made yourself a bond servant of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and and bond servants of Christ aren't really bond servants at all. They're sons, right? And which means that you inherit eternal life. And so, um, there's definitely uh, needs to be a further discussion on what is what is the, what is he talking about in Romans to to live in in His grace to be free in His grace, right? But, um, heard, I'd have to get into maybe some Calvinism. Maybe, <laughs> I've also heard it uh, talked about with the law of liberty, right? The law, yeah, the law of liberty. That's in Galatians uh, 6, I think. Yeah. So just go ahead and read Galatians 5 and 6. six right. And you should be pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the great, the great thing about grace is because it's free, it's, it's by grace that I got saved. Uh-huh. It's by grace that I'm continually, continuing in that Christian walk and being saved. Yep. And it's by grace that I will be saved mm-hmm. eternally. So it's all, so so then it just it not only frees me from not falling back into sin and being entangled by it, but I can I can still I still have a way out of it. But also, it gives me the freedom um, that I don't have to continue to do things in order to earn the grace. Yeah, it's given freely. So it really free. It's really free in the Jewish group because they are bound to the law, and it's free in the Gentiles because they were bound to sin. And so both are free. Yeah. And the yeah. only reason we know about sin is because of the law, and the law then 
shows the sin, so that it shows us there's no way that we can pay the punishment for that sin. Yeah, yeah. So it's all outside of us anyway. It's a pretty deep concept, if we're being honest. Well, that'd be a good sermon for oh. next, uh, next, uh, next July, July the 4th, yeah. the freedom, freedom, freedom of God. What does it mean to live under the freedom of God's grace? I, I like the idea of uh, challenging our readers to our listeners to go and read Galatians 5 and 6 for themselves and see what that what the Bible has to say about that because it's it's a it's a good topic. All right, well, we're out of time on this topic. Uh, unfortunately, it's been a good discussion, fellas. Um, we're glad that you joined us for this one. Uh, if you have any questions or, you know, we've talked about a lot about discipleship today, a lot about truth, um, a whole lot about what it means to believe, what's necessary for salvation, and all those kinds of things. If you have any questions at all, feel free to email us at rosbcpastors, it's plural, at gmail.com and we'll be glad to talk with you respond to your questions next week um, we are going to be uh, we're going to be hearing from the students about their time at, at student life camp and so the podcast might be a little bit different we'll still try and talk about some of the observations that they make uh, but largely we'll be hearing about um, things that they observed while they were at camp and then maybe here in the podcast we can have a discussion about some of those things or um, this would be a great opportunity that if our listeners have any questions that you've been wanting us to tackle, uh, this would be a good week to get those out to us so that maybe I can, uh, we, we'll have a, a, something else to add to the topics of next week's podcast. So, uh, But this has been a long one, I realize, a little bit longer than usual, but we're glad that you've stuck with us. Um, we will uh, hope to, we'll, we'll do another podcast and probably do that on Monday of next week. Um, but until then, we pray that you have a great week and that you uh, just spend it serving Him and uh, learning what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, do that, and I think the week will go well for you. All right, that's it for today. Thanks, and we'll see you on the next one. So long.